Hi, folks. This is Tom Salemi. It is Friday, May 12th. It's the day after Device Talks Boston. Thank you to everyone who came out to Device Talks Boston over the uh, over the past two days. We had a record-breaking attendance. We had rim- rooms filled uh, to the brim. We had really thoughtful conversations. And above all, we got to meet some of the best people. Thank you uh, doubly to everyone who uh, walked up and said hello and introduced themselves and told us their stories and shared what the podcast has meant to them. And and I gave me the opportunity to share what it's meant to me. So it's just been a a powerful, uh, a powerful two days. And I'm I'm grateful to uh, everyone who helped me put on the show, including my podcast partner, Chris Newmarker, uh, all the folks at uh, WTWH Media, the owner of uh, Device Talks. Who uh, who handled the logistics of uh, of the conference? And there's a lot of logistics to the conference. And uh, thanks, finally, of course, uh, to you, our uh, our great device talks community. So uh, I'm both um, I'm both exhausted and wired, <laughs> if that's possible. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to playing Device Talks West, which happens uh, in October. But I'm not here to sell anything. I just want to introduce uh, this episode where uh, we had uh, Joe Mullings, the CEO of the Mullings Group, which of course is a large executive search firm. And we had Peter Stebbins, who uh, is now involved in the startup community, but he uh, previously uh, had spent over three decades at Johnson & Johnson, uh, most recently vice president of business development. Uh, Peter's become a great friend of uh, of Device Talks and and of myself. I've enjoyed meeting and and getting to know Peter. So, uh, Happy to have these two gentlemen on stage with us in the final panel at Device Talks Boston. Uh, we were able to take some questions from the audience. We actually did have an audience, and thank you to everyone who stayed late to watch us do this this wacky stuff. And uh, that's it. It was a it was a far ranging conversation. We talked a bit about the conference, uh, a lot about the conference, but we also talked a lot about larger forces at play in medtech. And uh, I just gave it a re listen, and uh, I, I enjoyed it. I. I I missed a lot because I was uh, thinking of next questions, and it was nice to to re-listen. So I hope you'll uh, enjoy it as well. I didn't do like, follow, subscribe at the end, so we'll do it now. Uh, please do uh, if you enjoy this podcast, to, to subscribe to the Device Talks Podcast Network. You'll get uh, future Device Talks weeklies, future Intuitive Talks, future Striker Talks, future Boston to- Scientific Talks. And uh, Abbott Talks is coming out. So make sure you, again, once once again, like, follow, and or subscribe to the Device Talks Podcast Network. And uh, that's it. I'm going to uh, play this, uh, again, this great discussion we had on stage at the very end of Device Talks Boston, which uh, happened uh, this week at the BCEC. And thank you again to everyone who came out. Honestly, it was a highlight of my uh, professional career. And uh, I'm so grateful that uh, to everyone who took the time to come out and be part of it. All right, you ready for this? Ready. This is Tom Salami. Welcome to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast Live, our first live episode. I'm actually not looking at Chris Newmarker through a Zoom video. We're actually looking at you you're right directly. Face-to-face. Face-to-face. Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? Good, good to be here, Tom. Actually good to be here. Here, yeah, usually here. there. Actually you're here. You're actually here. So on the Zoom, yes. We're here at the end of, uh, of Device Talks. Uh, what was it called again? Boston? Boston. Yes. <laughs> we were in Boston. Yeah, Device All Talks Boston. There it is. It's right behind you. And uh, I didn't get my cookie. I needed my afternoon cookie, <laughs> and I've been running around and forgot to get it. So, Can someone get Tom a cookie? No, this is good. <laughs> It'll get embarrassing. So uh, we're going to break down the, uh, the, the past two days. Uh, we've had uh, over 1,000 people attending. Uh, great energy, great comments from folks. Uh, I really couldn't be happier with the way things have turned out, uh, just to be honest. And I'm grateful to everyone who actually did stop me as requested and said hello and just Thank for the comments about. The, thank you to everyone for the comments of the podcast, and just just for the good good wishes and for being here. Most important, it's been great to see a, a full room in almost every session. Yeah, um, love the energy, record attendance. Yeah, I mean, the, just 
a lot of momentum. I mean, just it's just great to have this uh, wonderful community that that we're building here. What a wonderful industry! Um, like, let's. This has been awesome. Oh, thank you. Awesome event. I think, I think we probably. Woo! There's probably like two or three thousand people out here in the audience right now. You think? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Yeah, please, fire we are, folks. We, we are talking sure near the end of the event. <laughs> you know, people are <laughs> no, it's a, it's, a, it's a hardcore crowd, so thank you for yeah. being here. So we're joined by uh, Joe Mullings, CEO of the Mullings Group. Joe, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, Joe. And uh, Joe is an, a keen observer of all that is MedTech, so we thought we need someone who's got eyes everywhere and can give us highlights on all the stuff we missed because we're in one room and there's three other rooms that are going on, so there's stuff that might have happened that maybe I don't want to hear about that you, that you folks can bring me up, bring me up to speed on, and folks in the audience as well. And happy to have Peter Stebbins as well. Peter has been on the podcast also before. Peter, thank you for joining us. Peter uh, asked a question uh, during the Mike Mahoney keynote yesterday, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, it, was, it, was, it was a good question, and uh, it, was a good, it was a good conversation. So I'm glad folks were able to, uh, who were at the meeting, were able to be part of it. If you weren't at the meeting, you're hearing this podcast well. Reconsider your decision next time and come to Device Talks. So, uh, Joe, we'll go to you first. Well, I mean, it, we usually go with Chris Newmark as newsmakers. Chris, do you want to pass the, the mantle on to our, our guest uh, newsmaker? Or, sure, or you're gonna, I'll, I'll hand the, the newsmaker baton to you, Joe. <laughs> Joe, what, right. what? Joe, I mean, just give us a, what we can kind of do around Robin. And again, honestly, uh, we've got a mic available to folks. I'd love to hear what others have, have seen and, and heard about at the meeting. But I have a question just at the top of my head, actually. Okay. Which is, which Sorry, is just, I mean, well, I mean, you know, I'd be interested to hear what Joe thought because, uh, you know, Peter as well, um, you know, like, you know, we came into this, this event here, you know, and, there, and we're undoubtedly facing some challenges um, as an industry right now. A lot of the talks were about opportunities. I mean, do you, do you think... Do you come out of this like I mean, have, have we? Have we? Is there is there a reason to feel opportunity around here? You're harshing my buzz, Chris. I was feeling great until you had to mention the, the challenges. So well, there's challenges, but there's, a lot. Lot, but there's so much opportunity. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, Joe. Feels, what? Yeah. Bring the bring the tone back up. <laughs> come on, Joe. So, <laughs> uh, well, first of all, again, congratulations on a great meeting. I think these meetings are important because they force dialogue. We're not walking around looking at products, we're not looking at technologies, but we're forcing dialogue. And at this point in time in MedTech, I think dialogue is really critical um, because there are so many changes going on right now. And if we look at coming out of 20, 21, 22, coming into 23, I think we got ahead of ourselves with technology, candidly. Mm -hmm. Whether you look at the VC world, and Peter, I want your thoughts on this. You know, all the VCs I dealt with, they were bragging to me that they hadn't invested in a medical device, an analog medical device, in the last couple of years. They've gone totally digital. And I think that <clears throat> going totally digital, looking for a full quantum leap in a culture that creeps along and still uses fax machines and Xerox copiers, um, is, is a is, is sort of a dichotomy. So what I saw is a return to, I'm seeing a return to analog from investors into the device world. So that, that's number one, and it's all super positive. And I'm also seeing us now getting our head wrapped around optimization of existing technologies and taking baby steps using data in a, an appropriate palatable way to include in the current workflow rather than these massive jumps in technology that we think or investors thought were going to happen in medtech they aren't going to happen as quick as they were so what it does is it returns back to a focus on making devices we know how to solve a lot of these diseases that people are dying of especially chronic disease but we haven't really gone towards the optimization of the newest technologies in managing those. Um, Peter, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think, you know, Chris, there's still a lot of great opportunity, but I think yeah. what we're doing now is kind of riding the ship a little bit. I think the last little bit, it was almost too easy. We can kind of get back to some basics. And in my sense, reality, yeah. the LPs were saying, hey, the two, thing, the two biggest things in the world are healthcare costs are going to eat the world and software is going to eat the world. So those two things, that's what I want to invest in. And I think people convince themselves that hey, there's these things that can be added to this fairly analog space, and let's do it. And some early things work, both within medical devices and, and things around surgery, but also as you get into, say, Olive and some of these other areas in, in revenue cycle management, others are like, oh, it's very 
you know, high priced, very good. It's a great match. You know, your LP loves the fact that you're investing in digital and healthcare. It's the perfect marriage. So make sure we, you know, put the money there. Um, and, you know, life kind of played out over a while, and a lot of that is still really good. But if it's worth $10, but it's being valued at 25 it's like, okay, it's better than a dollar, but now we're kind of right-sizing to that's really what's going to work, that's what's going to people going to pay for, what the hospital is going to pay for. It's not just nice to have. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, if it's really moving things along, either the doctors have to have it because they love it and they move faster, or... Um, that works. Other cases, just hey, it's just a, a cost of doing business, and we just added something more expensive to our to our tools. I thought, I any thought. share. Anyway, I think we're, I think this is a good discussion of like how we get back to yeah, normal investing's got to execute. You, you got to you know uh, deliver on value that the hospital's going to pay for, and set your expectations in line with that. Both investors. And companies need to test yeah, themselves. Let me, let me jump on one thing with Peter here for a sec. So <laughs> Peter used the word hospital a couple of times, and, and and I think what he means is um, where the providers are, because oh, yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah. we we can't we we have to make sure that we really delineate what's happening right now. And it's and it's and it's the 3D chessboard on Star Trek going on right now in healthcare, mm-hmm. because you've got misaligned incentives across the board in every single area of of, of the the business. It's the largest business in the world. Second is education. And so it's that large, you're going to have a lot of players coming in. But now these changing centers of care, private equity becoming very active right now in med tech, which has not happened before, mm-hmm. outside of roll-ups and contract manufacturing for the most part. Yep. Um, so you've got, you've got changing centers of care. You have the clinician no longer making the decision, where in the past, if you could convince the clinician, you pretty much could move the product through the, the hospital yeah. setting. So once you start to take Let's back off the frothy telehealth digital side because we still can't figure out who's going to pay for it. And now we have the changing center of the cares. And very few of the strategics are paying attention to the ASC growth. They're paying lip service to it, but there's really only one, in my opinion, striker really paying attention to it. Interesting. And yeah. so you've got this dynamic going on as well. That, that, that's going to keep people confused for a while. And the strategics playbook and the venture community is still playing from a legacy model, in my opinion. I thought, I mean, we had our two keynotes. We had Tom Poland from BD, and we had Mike Mahoney from Boston Scientific yesterday, and both, I thought, were very much along that theme. I mean, BD, you're talking about, talking about diagnostics and, and vaccines. I mean, you can't get any more basic than that. But Mike Mahoney, I thought one of the, the better moments was when I asked him about whether Boston Scientific had had any interest in a surgical robotic system, or at least investing heavily in it. And his point was, like, we're very good at making medical devices. Intuitive is very good at making robots. I don't see a need to try to do what they do. And I think we can, we can just sort of stick to our knitting. So it does seem to be sort of a, a, a drawing in of, of uh, if, I'm, if I'm following you correctly, getting back to basics and sort of getting back to what we do well. Some of the companies doing well are the ones that you know, kind of stuck to their netting. Yeah. Part of it comes to the notion of you know, using robots everywhere versus, I mean, it was very timely. Mike was saying that just about the time that Corindus was having their, I mean, Siemens Health and Ears was having their, yeah. you know, earnings call saying that, you know, we spent a billion for this business and it's going to work for endovascular and the team's going to get there for neurovascular, but cardiovascular was they're, they're out of it, a right? third of their valuation. Yep. So they wrote down $350 million because that's out. And Mike was saying, I'm not going to get into interventional robotics. He's like, there's, no, there's not a good place for interventional robotics. Yep. I think there's a lot of good places for tools and, and sharpers. They don't, I mean, they're still like looking at these kind of gray things on this screen. So it, there's room to be made there, but doesn't mean it needs to be you know, robotic. So. Yeah, and the other dynamic too, and, and let's stay at hospitals for a second. I'll go back up to the hospital setting. You've got 50% of the hospitals uh, in the U.S. are going to be operating at a deficit this year. So if you're selling CapEx, and there's not a clear present value in there of how it's going to make money or shorten time or answer the labor charge out of the gate, you're going to have a challenge over the next 24 months is what I'm forecasting for mm-hmm. this. So you've got that right now. Uh, and you know, chronic disease right now being managed, 20% of our GDP. We know how people are dying. We know how people are getting sick. We also have insight into subclinical before the disease actually gets there. So, you know, that's an area that still does not get enough attention. That is the low-hanging fruit for the use of, well, AI will kill us, but until then, it could help heal us, 
right? Yeah. That's the low-hanging fruit, I think, that is still not being respectfully addressed in the marketplace by the large strategics. And I, in fact, think they're going to play that away to the pharmaceuticals, and I think they're going to make a mistake. I think you're going to see the pharmaceutical companies get into that front-end RPM, remote patient monitoring, managing the disease state at home, even potentially catching it subclinically. Mm -hmm. And they're going to take that enormous pie that's growing over the next 10, 15 years away from the device world. Because they understand, they have more PhDs than MedDevice does. They understand disease states better than MedDevice does. They've got deeper pockets than MedDevice does. And, and remote patient monitoring is not a tough nut to crack. And it feeds into their pharma model really well. So I think that that's going to get fumbled away by the device manufacturers in the, in the near term. Interesting. I mean, we did have a discussion yeah. about, and, and Chris, you can share, but you, we, I, I led a discussion on digital health and sort of where we are with that, even that terminology, whether it even is, is, applies anymore, but also what the future of it is and how it can bring value. And after all this money invested, all this time committed, there's still a very open question as to what value it's going to bring. I know uh, we had Lana Karen from Phillips Ventures on the panel, and I'm not sure if she's in the room or not. I'd love to get her take on what was talked about. But um, do you, so do you, do you s the connected health, the, the farmer moving to connected health, are we talking about technology uh, that, that, you know, is going to connect the, 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 the hospital to the home? I mean, is that the, is that the territory that the device companies are seeding? Well, it's interesting. Peter mentioned the VCs, and he's a lot closer to the VC world than I am. He plays in it now is the problem with the VCs is they look at the two largest valued companies in the world and they both own operating systems, right? You've got Apple and Microsoft, mm. you know, respectfully 2.3 and 2.7 trillion. So the VCs can't help themselves, right? They have to go, that's what it is, get an operating system in the hospital. And, you know, you listened to Avail yesterday, I like what they're doing on the other side of the firewall, getting as an API plugin into the OR and becoming that OS for the system. Mm -hmm. But what pharma can do is pharma can make the investment and they also have the engagement with the patient population there um, because the chronic disease is already being treated by pharma. And chronic disease is 80% of that 20% of the GDP in managing that. And so managing that before it becomes catastrophic or IDing it before it even subclinically, before it becomes crippling, I think is the unlock for where all the opportunity is in sort of healthcare. And you have that convergence of device, pharma, and biotech all converging. And in the middle of that is the data play, if you will, the connectivity. Mm -hmm. But I think the connectivity right now is just the RPM side of things over the next few years. Solve that if you really want to cash a big check. You don't think the Massimos or the you know or the iRhythms or, or whatever are gonna are gonna no. no. No, I don't think so. Wow. Their the, the tech potentially could be rolled out. I mean I really had thought through lately. Joe was saying it. But when we talk about the you know the, the pharma company. So if somebody has a a, a, a drug for um, you know all sort of colitis or whatever, they're going to be managed with patients for a long time. And if you end up with some way to measure that, and then they can do it themselves. And the issue with a lot of both real biotech and med tech, if you need venture capitalists, you know, their money is coming from limited partners, right? The, the pensions out there are saying, hey, I want to invest in these different, that's where the money's coming from. I think the VCs are actually smarting up mm -hmm. in terms of enough digital or whatever. And, Still right now, as, as they go back to raise their next round, when they go to the pensions, what are they going to say they're going to invest in? And last cycle, it was, we'll do digital in med tech or biotech. Now, it's, it's a harder discussion for them to raise their money. That's one of the reasons they're being, you know, dinosaur arms on, on they have a lot of dry powder, but they don't want to spend it because they're afraid of not being able to raise it the next year, which rolls down to... Yep. Series A and B companies worried about I can't raise my Series B and C next year. Um, so anyway, but I do think the, the pharma has a potential right play now. in terms of of that disintermediation of we're kind of connecting right to the to the patient because yep. they own the patient and as big pharma they have the money to potentially support their you know their cash flow of these of these drugs. And I also think you're going to see right now we only know what we know and what is exists in a really legacy environment. I'm forecasting a brand new entity coming out, and I think it'll spin out of pharma. And if you look at the players right now, you've got United Healthcare is the fifth largest company in the world. I think the $340 yeah. billion, 
Okay, and everybody gets excited over Medtronic being 32 billion. So, so let's just take that. And then you have the tech-enabled companies like the Amazons, the Googles, the Facebooks, um, and the Apples, where everybody thought they were going to, myself included, thought they were going to sort of get into healthcare. They just can't do it. They don't understand the biology, and they don't respect the FDA. Candidly, they're just sometimes you can be too smart for yourself. Having sat inside the walls of two of those companies closely, the arrogance there intellectually, I'm not getting fans from them on this podcast, but intellectually, the arrogance there not respecting the FDA or the design cycle. And then, well, frankly, the healthcare systems, it's complicated. It's complicated. I mean, I mean it's, it's, a, it's actually generous to call it a system. Yeah, it's generous to call it a system. And, yeah. and I do think you're going to get a consumer obsessed entity that will come out of the pharma world that, so let's think of it like, um, somebody told me this analogy, think of American Express. So they deal direct with the customer, but the customer never pays them. They get actually paid by the, uh, uh, um, the entity, by the, vendors, purchase, by, the, by, yeah. by the vendors, right? And then the service runs through the bank. But Amex and Visa are obsessed with customer engagement. And MedTech doesn't deal with the customer, i.e. the patient, the consumer. They deal with the payers and the providers and the clinicians. But pharma still has a direct line to consumer, and you can look at that in behavior, because they, when was the last time other than Watchmen you saw a commercial on television, terrestrial television? Boston Psy, right? And I think you had during the Super Bowl, you had yeah, maybe um, Pelagic had a. Yeah. Right, and that was Pelagic's it, though. Yeah. But, but talking directly to the consumer. Yeah. So I think you're going to see coming out of pharma, because they're used to that, there's going to be a brand new entity that will become consumer obsessed. And the consumer won't pay them, but indirectly, pharma will benefit from that. And they are going to take over that chronic care business. And, and that entity would need to be a, an independent one. Yes. Because any drug company only has nine years of selling that product. So my ulcerative colitis example before, you can't build a whole business for three years and you only know, six years left to sell it. So, but as a space, that, that it potentially is a... Yeah. And United a, Healthcare won't do it because their customer engagement, if you ever dealt with them, is abysmal. Mm -hmm. That's a culture there. So I, I, that's, that, this is where device has to keep their eyes open. We, we have a great place here, and we don't need to be at the front of the pack. But I think what we've got to do is make sure that these steps of magnitude that we try or are trying to push onto the industry right now could potentially ruin it um, for what's coming three to five years from now. But, but the, the good news is there are some low-hanging fruit for things to continue to to improve upon using technology, either you know, digital technology or, or just you know, advanced engineering and, and, and materials and things. Which One theme I heard a number of times. haven't been getting funded recently because they were looking for a home run. Yeah. So, I, mean, I was just saying one theme I heard a number of times, you know, during during this show was, uh, you know, it was companies really looking like to try to own data, you know, like, you know, especially like Stryker and Zimmer Biomed. I, I mean, I both heard from both of them, like this idea of like, okay, we're going to try to you know, have this whole array of things around, you know, the ortho operating environment. We're going to collect this data and we're going to use this data to, you know, you know, make the argument to health providers about why, you know, they, you know, this, they, this technology will give them more efficiencies, will help them operate better, will, you know, help their patients as well. So, I mean, that, that, that definitely seems to be one thing they're, they're driving at, you know, and I... So that, the data thing is, is, I chuckle at it because first define data to me. And then the only way you can extend out a real movement is if you have agreed upon language. Language defines communication. And you can't even define the language of data right now in med tech or healthcare at the patient bedside or pre or post or intraoperative. So while I love that concept, you can still put 15, R&D people out of the digital plays in a room and ask them to take the same test. And if I show them a cat, they'll tell me a cat. But if I ask them for a definition of data, they would not be able to give you a definition of data. Even that's really challenging. That's going to be a challenge, and I think it's a much longer road. I think we're irresponsibly throwing around the word data. Yeah, because even if you go into the clinical side around patient-reported outcomes, you know, pain is one of the most important things right out there. Everyone's different. So the notion of like, wh what does that data really mean? You get in the gate of a patient from a, from a canary device. It's going to take a long time for that to get to the point, and it will happen, 
we will like through brute force get to the point where the most important things that data becomes knowledge and insights and action and, and saves lives and helps lives. But it's you know it, it's 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 not like you know a very black and white type of thing that you can measure like cholesterol level or something. It, it, it's much more complicated and and and, and uh, um, disputable. It, it, I think it's going to be a long time if ever that we have a, a knee CG off. Uh it was interesting that throughout, and, and at this point, if there are folks who want to kind of engage and, and ask questions or make comments, uh, Sean will bring a microphone, but it was amazing to me how quickly AI entered almost every single conversation or people had an answer for AI. I mean, it's clearly, I mean, it's only, obviously, it's been something that's been developing for years. It's kind of reached the Chad public GPT consciousness. Chad came out, we're all interacting three, you know, with it. Five or six months ago, and now it seems like it's become an integral, integral part of a lot that's going on. I know there's been products that have been using. I know this isn't entirely new to MedTech, but it really has come to the forefront. And I'll take some responsibility. I'm asking the question. So if I bring it up, people have to answer it. But it is being, it's part of the lexicon now of MedTech, at least for now. And you wonder if it's another layer of technology that's, if it's going to help or if it's going to complicate things. I think it's going to help if you go after the optimization. I think the organizations, this again, I'm obviously a fan of Stryker. Um, they're, looking, they're constantly looking at optimization of existing procedure, optimization of existing device. They bought uh, Vocera last year, yep. uh, January of 23, for $3 billion. So they're looking for optimization. I think the large strategics or even the small startups that look at, what, look at Moon Surgical, and I'll use them as another example on the device side. So everybody wanted to build a big soft tissue robot, whether it's CMR, Intuitive, uh, uh, Medtronic, J&J. But I thought what Moon did was really clever because what they're doing is optimizing existing technologies using a technology. So I forecast them being picked up by J&J or Medtronic because of the faulty soft tissue robots going up because they don't cannibalize the straight stick business that both of them have already. Mm -hmm. And it's a much lower cost on, on entry. They're smart enough on their, on their pricing models. They're not, they're, they may come in in a full lease model and just say, you don't have to worry about anything. We'll take care of service and they're, and provision. And they're addressing actual inefficiency in healthcare. They're addressing the inefficiency, shortage. right? So on the AI side, I think if you yeah. look at AI as it goes to optimization of current workflow, that's where your low-hanging fruit is. And I think the device companies that are going to be billion-dollar exits are going to be more focused on what's existing today, how do I optimize it, how do I address the labor charge, the, the labor issue, how do I make the clinician's job a little easier, drop their cognitive load, and how do I work with what's existing already in the ecosystem? Because that's where Medtronic and J&J and Stryker and Edwards will spend billions of dollars in acquisitions that protects the moat they already have, mm -hmm. but supercharges it. That's where I, I think I thought it was interesting at, at our Device Talks West event in October, which will be coming back next October. October 18th and 19th. There we go, yeah. Santa Clara. But um, you know, Medtronic gave us a nice little journey on their GI Genius, uh, you know, system, and it, you know, that it seemed very elegant. The idea that you, you know, that someone doing a colonoscopy could have these little green boxes that you know just say, hey, this might be something you should look at. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, that that seems like a good example That's right. of AI That's that could. That's exactly. Yeah. I like to, I like to bring in. Uh, I'm sorry, the lights are very bright, so if you could just uh, give us your name and, and, and company, and uh, welcome to the podcast. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. Hi. Josh Jackson, Sagenti Innovation. Uh, you guys have been dancing around it. You're right. It's the talk of the town, at least for this conference, AI, AI, AI. Um, Joe, I'm going to push back on you just a little bit. Please. Uh, you've got to start somewhere with the communication. Uh, so you've got to, data needs to be defined by somebody. If that def definition isn't correct, then they'll, that'll get changed. Uh, but when is a hospital system, a large hospital system, you know, Boston, Cleveland Clinic, wherever it might be, going to step up and then drive the conversation about AI, about data collection, because they're the ones. So yeah, you've got Stryker and you've got their ecosystem, you've got Medtronic, et cetera, et cetera. You've got everybody's own ecosystem. They're, they're only going to be incentivized by their own products, when are you going to have a hospital system step up and drive that conversation for the greater good for everybody? Well, I, I, it's a good question. And, and again, this is where you have a misalignment of incentives across the entire ecosystem because you've got, you've got so many hands in the game. I don't know if the hospital's the spot for that. They're certainly the end recipient of it. And again, I'm going to use the word hospital and not ASC. I think moving forward over the next five to seven years, the 
toehold for new technology deployment is going to happen at the ASC level and work its way to the hospital. I do not believe that the hospital is going to be the opening for new technology for a number of reasons. For, for, for bundling, which is to me is like an antitrust situation. So you're going to be, and, and you've got these ASCs that are run by PE, which PE has the smartest brains coming out of MBA programs who are taught to force rank the top five expenditures and carve away at those. And so you can introduce new technologies into these ASCs that are incredibly efficient, and that's why they exist. And now you're going to be able to build models around that. And the private equity firms that own 20, 30, 40, 50 of these ASCs are going to set the pace for where digital will enter the healthcare system. I do not believe it's going to be a hospital. Is it a medical society? Do they, can they set parameters? Or Well, this is a privately owned business on the PE side, I think. Yeah. S- Sages is trying, right? I mean, Yes. Who's trying? Yes. Sages. 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 Yeah. 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 But, but anytime you have it, every t- Sages is a great organization. PCR is a great organization, but those organizations have alternative agendas as well. Yep. Right? So yep. you got to be careful. Okay, they, they, I just know that they, they brought an industry to kind of lay it out so that you actually had these, you know, industries. I mean, in Minnesota, I've noticed a lot of focus at Mayo Clinic. I mean, they, I mean they're definitely really trying to experiment with uh, Well, that, they can afford to. Oh, yeah. Okay, when, when 50% of the hospitals right now are operating in a deficit and will be for years to come, uh, I think they're worrying about right now just survival and not getting caught up in the conversation on the digital data side, personally. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I'm gonna come back to, I believe it's ASCs over the next three to five years that will be the revolution on the digital engagement. It's the hospital system that owns the ASCs sometimes, and it's just, somebody large needs to drive the conversation. These are all I'm indicating. Somebody who has leverage Okay, not large. Leverage and large are, are, are mutually exclusive. And I do believe that private equity will drive innovation over the next few years in med tech and digital and data through ASCs and ASCs that exist culturally outside the large hospital systems that are opening up their own, but the cultural still will carry down. But the ASCs that are PE owned will have every interest in the world to use data algorithms and outcomes to their benefit. So that's where my position is on that. And, and for people who aren't familiar with it, that, that PE could own 50 ASCs, and you have no idea they're all, they have any, any similarity. They, they keep yep. their local branding, that's where I go, and yep. the docs that's have ownership, and they do, right. the front, they do the clinical. Everything in the back office is, is done on that's by right. docs doing yeah, the whatever. Docs are, that, that, the docs that's where face. the opportunity comes along. That's, yeah. exactly. that's where you're going to get new devices come in, and new, new practices come in, and digital dashboards and data and outcomes, and they also have the highest use of technology, the highest use of robotics. If you're going to build data, you need a platform to build it off of. And you need a, a, a control group, and then you also need the, 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 the actual driver on it. And that's where ASC is. It's unclear whether that'll actually be driven toward clinical improvement or toward financial operations. I mean, Boston Scientific's Mike Mahoney in his important. keynote last night, I, I thought that he's he... Hold uh, on drive for the clinical benefit yeah. if it's yeah. 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 financially. Agreed. Chris. I was just saying, like, Mike Mahoney, uh, Boston Scientific's Mike Mahoney, his keynote last night, I mean, it, it sounded like he, he thought there was a lot of opportunity for them to get interventional procedures into the ASCs. Like, that, that seems to be... Well, yeah, everybody wants to point to the Joan Rivers moment as a faulty. I think what you're doing is you're, this, the, the stratification... So data is going to help you stratify patients who are risk, at risk, or, or, or low risk, right? So that, that's number one. Number two is not every procedure has to happen. Hospitals are important. They're critically important. But for probably 50 to 60% of the surgeries that occur right now, they can happen out of a, an ASC or a turn of center of care. So there was a question up here. Where was... Yes, please. Uh, please, uh, your name and uh, company, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, firstly, thank you so much for, for a wonderful event and a very good discussion right now. Thank you. I'm Dr. Namita Lemaire from IDC. Um, and so I have uh, some comments and a question. Uh, comment is um, from the perspective of this event. If there were some key takeaways for me, some in te- uh, interesting takeaways. I think intimacy at scale. Uh, I love that expression and the complete focus on patient experience uh, was one. Collaborate to innovate. Seeing competing companies collaborate. The direct example was today Philips and Boston Scientific, which is I think a change we're seeing in the industry. Invasive but not intrusive. Um, 
care anywhere and embedded intelligence to your point of AI literally becoming a part of everything, data becoming a part of everything. Uh, the question, there are two questions actually. One was uh, when I compare pharma versus med device, I hear a lot more of interest in pharma on generative AI and the applications. I felt it was relatively low-key when it came when I when it came to devices. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And also to your point on the uh, new entity that you uh, described that you expressed would come out of pharma. If you could elaborate a little more on your thoughts on what that would encompass. I know you said consumer engagement, but I'd love to hear what is it going to be like? How will it be the shape and size? Sure. Peter, do you want to take a shot at AI? Uh, is that? Uh... Or either one. Well, I'll start with the, 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 one. the relative to the AI potentially. Um, again, there are a lot of discussions. And, uh, for me, what's exciting is the, the generative part of the AI, right? That's why people are more excited. I was saying before, you have, yeah. you have data, information, yep. insights, and then action. And I think machine learning and some AI, that's been great. We have a much better way to do, um, look at x-rays and things like that. That's good. But now, if, if things can flip to actually be actions I think that's that's where we're excited as civilians, right? Yeah, for sure. More than just about a Google search. So you're doing things. And that's where the opportunity, I think, is for, for farm and for, and for devices. I think the, the, the issue for devices is there's so many different factors involved relative to each patient and, and how to provide this or that other than maybe how you cut. Where in pharma, it tends to be a, a bit more of a, of a card flip in terms of is it going to work or not? And there's... There's a lot of information out there, and if you have a you know really great way to pull it all together and, and, and predict those card flips, that maybe that's one reason it comes across as more as, as more useful. Uh, there's just a lot of different steps along the process for both surgery and then to be honest, kind of how products get sold in the competitive space because it's not um, you know the only molecule in the world that does this. There are a couple of different ways to do it typically in surgery. So that's my, my take on that. On the AI, here's the issue, and this is why I think uh, the big strategics have been struggling on the digital surgery side, is they're not digital natives. And if you're not a digital native in the AI world, buying an AI company does not make you digitally competent. And we've watched large strategics try and stand on the first, pace, first place podium by buying a company because they're a market leader. And that's okay if the race hasn't started yet. But if you're gonna stand on that podium because you can drop 10, 15 billion dollars for a technology and that's not who you are, as soon as you have to run the race against that competitive um, number two person, you're likely gonna get beat. And so if, if the large strategics are the drivers of AI, I think we're gonna have a real struggle there. So I think AI is gonna come out of pharma where they're, and, and closer to the patient and outcomes. And, and that takes me to answering your second question. Pharma has, in device we make things. In pharma, they're accustomed to large data sets. In device, we extrude, we inject mold. We really aren't driven by science in comparative to pharma companies. And AI is a science. And so data scientists fit much cozier into data-driven outcomes, as Peter said, if I'm pursuing a molecule, a big or small molecule. And so it's much more culturally adept to happen there. And also on the pharma side, I see pharma companies eventually, potentially, or may not want to inherit the issue that device companies have. I see pharma eventually getting their, their toe into the water on the RPM side, which closes their circle um, on the device side. And that entity will become a Berkshire Hathaway company of one of the large farmers, if you will. But one thing that I think that, that farmer brings to it is that it's a generational <coughs> thing. The, any, any uh, you know, biology, whatever, they do, if they're under 35, they've done wet lab and dry lab. And really, today's management across all the pharma companies are all wet lab people, right? So they did everything based on, on pipetting and all that. And now students coming out of their PhDs the best are wet lab, dry lab, which means they, they can code or whatever. They, they know enough to speak almost digital native on, on the relevant issues. And they can pipette or use, you know, push a button to do the pipette. So they understand both, both sides. And I think that's a real, that's a culture. That's really impressive. You know, and, and, it, and it's, 
almost easier to do in that space than Absolutely. it is in devices because there it matters. Is there a clear advantage in every step away to, to be both wet lab and dry lab? Whereas in device, you know, if you're designing a hard valve, to be the best at that hard valve, maybe you don't need to, to bring the eye on them. It, it, mm -hmm. It's just not as obvious in your training, yeah. at least. Maybe yeah, you're already seeing a lot of excitement in pharma with you know, AI, like discovering new molecules, new proteins. And, well, sure. I yeah. mean, look what, what, depending on your position, I mean, we, we got to a, we got to a, 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 not to be political, a solution for a vaccine in record time. Mm -hmm. And that was done using AI. But, but is MedTech positioned to kind of flip that script? I mean, we're putting sensors in devices now, so we're getting, and I know we're data, what is data, what is data? But we're gonna get data from devices. Operation ORs are gonna have a lot more data coming from the, the, the surgical uh, platforms that are being created, even intuitive surgical, which you know I think is, is killing it in, in robotic surgery. They're gonna have, be generating more data. Going forward, devices is gonna be so much more extremely data heavy. And I know, again, it's a question of what that data looks like, but is it gonna be in a position where it could become more of a data, a data industry or as much of a data industry as pharma? It's a flywheel. So you need, you need the devices engaged into the system yeah. ready to collect the data. Exactly. Right, and then all of Farmers a sudden- Farmers just given a pill and it's, they're done. They don't get anything yeah. after that. Well, they, they've got a customer for life and mm -hmm. they have direct engagement with the customer. That's the big difference right now, right? There is a loyalty there. You're right. If there, someone's taking there, there, whatever, there's engagement. Yeah, right. Get me, yeah. get me my, get me my X. Yeah. Right. So, so that's one. And and then number two is that I think pharma gets in way earlier. And and go with me on this journey for a quick second. So I have a son. He's older than this now, but he was just born. Let's take me back here. He was just born. And I go get a 23andMe test, a more sophisticated one, and I see what he's genetically predisposed for. And then I buy a subscription model from a pharma company that he puts a Band-Aid on himself every 30 days. And there's biometrics that get pulled off of that. And then there's a little homing device in the house that takes those biometrics and shoots them out. And, and genetics loads the gun lifestyle and, 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 and culture fire it. And now I know what he's predisposed for. And now I, he starts getting near the control limits. So I catch it before it's a catastrophic disease. Mm -hmm. And now I manage him all the way through. This is a pharmaceutical model. This is not a medical device model. Medical device model generally enters the play after oh, something happened. the foul has occurred. Yep. And so I think, and now I'm getting all that data off of him on his Band-Aid for $29.99 a month. And I'm building these enormous data sets. And I'm still gonna need the device player to come in to make that emergency call on that device in that cath lab or, or that OR. They cohabitate together. But this is where I think you have that convergence. So I see AI, I see data, and I see consumer engagement mm -hmm. who is selling that patch, who is obsessed with the customer journey that I talked about earlier, that is an independent of the pharma company. And it's your Amex or Visa who is managing the health of that patient. And I'm getting a reduced insurance cost if I'm on that patch. And so I'm pulling all the aligned interests together. That's the journey I think we're going to see in the next five to seven years. That's a good point that like with most device companies, I mean, the interaction that people have with them usually isn't until after, after you're diagnosed with diabetes, after you Oh, even get Robert hurt. Cohen yesterday, this morning, yesterday, whatever day it was, this morning. This morning. <laughs> this morning, talking about My name. How, how they can use the information of a patient who's, you know, what's your BMI? How old are you? You know, what's your activity like? Do you have diabetes to, to, to decide what implant is necessary and to, and to maximize the, be the, the benefit of that impact. But you're right, after, that's after. That's after that's the after. Been occurred. Yeah. Yeah. So pharma understands subclinical diagnostics better than device does, just yeah. how we're wired. And they're not better or worse, but they tend to be set up for AI and becoming obsessed with that customer yeah. where device is prescribed by the clinician yeah. or the insurance policy. So that's where I think you have the breakaway. I agree on that as a prediction, but they're not set up to do that right now. So not right I want to make sure we're clear that they're, they're not necessarily right. going down that path. And again, because the patents only last for 10 years, I think they'll do it, but it, it, it's not obviously it'll happen. I, I guess, get back to your point, you know, come on these last two days, I, don't, I, I feel good about, to be honest, for lack of a better word, the reset of the med device industry over the last little bit to say, yeah, this is what we're going to focus on. We're going to, you know, be... Um, humble yet ambitious in mm -hmm. terms of what we should yeah. do 
And I think the finance behind that will come, both from, from upstream with the ventures and then and downstream in the ASCs and the hospitals, because MedTech has so much to, to provide, both on the device side and then what our optimization can be done through information, which goes into better R&D, which the customer never sees except a better product, and the other things which are a bit more, um, you know, uh, we would talk about relative to, to, to digital and, 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 and things like that. So, yeah. um, again, I, I think, you know, the, the, the space is in a, in a good space because I, I think it's, it's, it's uh, trial and error, for lack of a better word. And, I mean, we're, we're, we've kind of come around a little bit and we've got to keep on. Keep What's on the convergence, on. Peter? You and I have been, I've been 33 years around this industry. You, you, you're younger than me, maybe a, a little, little less. But, but it's that convergence of device, pharma, biotech, where in the past, and we still talk about it, well, there's the pharma path, well, there's a the device path. I think the, 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 the data side, and, and, and don't, don't go to sleep yet on the pharmaceutical companies making actually more money off of monitoring a healthy young person and augmenting their health, not treating disease, right? So, so let's look at performance-driven um, drugs or performance-driven Viagra, right? Originally became a performance drug, but originally was a treatment. And so if I'm managing you and I now can have you be healthier, faster, stronger, smarter, um, as a pharma company, I know, and, and now you can self-pay, and I don't even have to worry about prescription prices. There's an entire category there yeah. that could be more than worrying about the patent position on a drug. Yeah. Let's, let's uh, just shift gears a bit, and if anyone wants to contribute, feel free to please raise your hand. Uh, we had the MedTech Innovator All-Stars here, 22 companies presenting. I didn't get to see any of them because I was involved in other sessions. Wondered if either of you got to see that any of the presentations, but also we had the venture panel, and let's talk just a little bit about the, the startup environment. Uh, there's, there's been some concern that, that capital is drying up. I talked to others who say there's an abundance of capital out there, just less traditional capital. Um, what, what are you, what did you, what sense did you get from this meeting and overall in terms of where we are going with, uh, with financing of, of new med tech companies? Peter, you, were you sitting in any of the sessions at all? Or? Uh, I, I mean, and some of them, and yeah. again, my my sense is that there is, um, you know, there, there's money to be deployed. Um, it's going to be coming out a bit slower because the you know, the VCs needs to raise from their LPs, and and they want to be, you know, more cautious on that. Um, I, I do believe that. I mean, there's some companies where it's still very up in the air whether it's going to get reimbursed and those types of things, which add a, a bit of of complexity or respect to maybe do an IPO and there's no natural strategic for it to go to. Whereas I think on something which is naturally gonna to go to a strategic or potentially do an IPO, then it's just a matter of what the price is and, and how you get there because there will be something on the other side. It's just a matter of you know, how low is that next round valuation. So I think you can get there. Um, it's, it's, it's just gonna be a matter of pricing. Whereas I still feel like Reimbursement on some of these things is a is a is a wild card um, that could put off some people investing in it because they just don't know. I mean, Mike Mahoney said it yesterday. Well, our biggest issue is sometimes we buy companies. Yep. It's such a great thing. It's better for the patient, better for the world, but it's not reimbursed, and we just end up eating it because it never gets reimbursed. Uh, the money's there. Peter's right. It's just it's it's being a lot more diligent in deployment. Mm -hmm. uh, part of the issue right now is if 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 you're looking for a lead, it's really hard to get a lead right now. Therefore, if you know lead, you can't get any others to join in. So so if I'm looking for a lead right now because they're keeping their dry powder, if they've got ten investments over a, the term of a of of a, of a fund, um, right now they're keeping all that dry powder close to them for follow up. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's number one. I think worrying about valuations right now in a financing round is short-sighted. You just need to stay alive, right? It's the, the only thing that matters is what happens at the end of the existence of that organization. So, so that's one. And I think you're going to start to see models out there occurring like Orchestra Biomed, which is a really interesting model. So what they're doing is they're looking for the gaps in the large strategics um, current portfolio, identifying those gaps, working closely with the strategics. The startups, what happens with a startup right now is, you know, there's two major financings that need to occur. One is when you're going to drive for your clinical trial, and if you get through there, through the FDA, then you've got to stand up a commercial organization, 
Right? Those are your two big slugs on your investment. Getting there is precarious these days. So what we've seen Obio do, and it's got basically a biotech model, is they now are finding technologies, working with the strategics, a build to buy or build to co-license with. And the big strategic's underwriting the clinical, and the big strategic then will have a rev share or licensing on the back end. It's not always an acquisition model. Mm -hmm. So I think what that does is allows these organizations not to go build and hope somebody buys them someday, but go out and say, this is what we will deliver, this is what we can build. Will you take on some of the load here and we'll have a rev share on the other end? I think you're gonna see that coming up a lot more, and um, it's worked in sister markets before device. Yeah, and, and, and two riffs on that is, one is the notion of like, you know, built to buy and some of these structured deals, and some of which are actually executed but not even announced, right? So I've learned there's several of these which have been um, executed between startups and, and strategics and hmm. don't even know about it until it, until it plays out uh, for, for lots of reasons. And the other is that some of these companies have gone through, you know, they, they, for different reasons, they've had to go through layoffs. and. In some cases, one of the cleaner ways to do a layoff, besides just general administration, is to, to go into your R&D pipeline and say, hey, let's just you know, call below this line because it's not gonna make our impact for three to four years anyway. And so what you'll find is two years from now and, and certainly three years from now, those organizations be looking to fill that gap of what am I gonna give my sales force this year and they'll go back out to buy. So they'll, they're going to come around if, hey, if, if you're going to lay off your, all your R&D people, then you're going to have to go buy something two years from now when, because you've kind of cut off your own, your own internal spigot a little bit. Uh, so I, I think that'll be a bit of it. The, the question is how do you, uh, as an investor in a startup, put yourself in a situation where you feel comfortable that two years, three years from now, someone's going to say, hey, I need something for my line, let me go buy it. Um, and you can have those conversations before, and the market's going further and further here. Look, if you took the top, if you look at the top 20 med device companies, the top 10 go up to about 200 billion together. I'm sorry, the top 50, 200 billion in the next 40 or 200 billion, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the Pareto. But they're supply chain companies, they're distribution companies, they're sort of manufacturing companies, they're not innovation companies any longer. And I will tell you as, you know, top headhunting firm for 32 years, when you're going for innovative, and this is not a, a, a slight on anybody, when you're going for innovative, leading edge, bring to me something that's not been done before, you do not recruit out of Medtronic, J&J, Stryker, Baxter, you don't. All of that happens at a very small entrepreneurial level. So as they continue to become bigger and bigger and they become <coughs> bigger and bigger supply chain companies and they start to gut their R&D groups, and look, they're a publicly traded company, they have to, you're gonna start to see those continue to move to the emerging tech venture community. Now, one thing that Peter said I'm a big fan of, I would love to see them do what Google did is off balance sheet a large slug of money and allow it to be off property independent innovation center that you no longer have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. And then you can attract best in class talent because I will also tell you that I've never had some of the brightest minds come to me and say, put me in a strategic. My supply chain people do. My VP of ops who want to manage 17 facilities around the world do. Mm -hmm. But the innovation is going to continue to come from the emerging tech small companies. And the venture world is making a lot of money on that. And don't go to sleep on private equity type companies that are going to come in earlier than they ever have before pre-revenue come in and start taking advantage of that market as well. Do those changes in how companies are funded to build a buy, does that disincent people to join startups if there's not an opportunity for, and maybe there is, but for a larger payout down the road? Does it? Not everybody wants a larger payout, yeah. right? Romantic, and by the way, only about, Holly could probably tell you better than I can, I don't maybe one in 17 startups actually sees the finish line successfully, yeah. and even then, the person who's in that five to 12 year range isn't making a massive amount of money on the options he or she got. Yeah. But what they want to do, and they're not there for the money all the time, we always tell them the equities, don't count on the equity, count on the experience, the network that you're gonna form and, and, and what else you're gonna become informed of, of where the market's going to. Not on what is a legacy product that you're 
changing from purple to blue next year. But if your world is manufacturing, you can't go to a startup. If your world is supply chain, you can't go to a startup. If your world is finance, you can't go to a startup. So there's places for everybody. But on the innovation side of MedTech, it will always remain and will continue to index towards startups and emerging tech companies. And I, and I, and I break those out as two distinctly different companies. And, and to be fair to MedTech, it's the same in biopharma and the same for, for, uh, for, for Google and tech company. They, they're, their best stuff is they're going buying other small companies because right. it's really hard to be, to you be big. You and, and, and you can do a certain what? percentage, but it's, it seems to minimize. Just to check what you're saying about private equity, you think private equity would be willing to invest in like very young medical device companies even though they're not going to get a device to the finish line in 10 years, if, if ever? I, I think you're going to see organizations like GTCR, Carlisle, and others start entering into right before pre-rev and invest early in pipeline technologies because you're starting to see some of these executives exit out and open up their own firms and they know more about where the market's going. And I think they can get in and they can do these rev shares so you're gonna have a revenue stream. So if I come in and I'm a PE type firm, okay, okay which is different than venture, um, and, and I come in and I invest in that technology and it's a licensing deal where it fits into a PE world where I get rev over the next five, six years as I build it, and on the end I have an exit. And now I have a profit interest there for the people who stood on and carried that. Because the problem with the startups is, a large strategic comes in, they make the mistake of giving a retention package to the VP of R&D, the VP of Reg, certainly not the finance person, when all the people who innovated were the click below them. And they, they're gone, acquisition's done. And all you did was buy the IP for the technology. You didn't buy the perpetuity of driving that. And so all of the people who drove innovation now went off to another startup. So when you do these acquisitions, you've got to structure it, structure it so you retain those people who drive that innovation. And you have to, you have to incentivize them intellectually and potentially economically as well to stay. So if I take a PE model and I hold it for five years or seven years and build a value, and I still have an exit on the back end, and I get that profit interest pop at the end as well. You, you can't be retained in that for a long time. So I think that model has got legs in growing, the device world. Going and grow, and they have the licensing, and then they can sell that to a strategic. Correct. Or, or they do the rev share. So you have the rev share back into the PE, which is part of their thesis, and then you have the exit on the property on the back end. But all this is what do you do to keep the geniuses inside the entity that you just bought or sold, okay. what do, how do you retain that talent? Because that, when that goes out the door, and that's the biggest integration issue, that I know strategics, they're way smarter than I am, but they sleep on that way too often, yeah. on the intelligence going out the door. Yeah. And, and, and Chris, I, I think the notion of PE, I mean, I think there makes a lot of sense for PEB in in the middle of med tech, right? Because if you think about it, the VC, the whole VC, you read, read any text on VC, the whole notion of VC is, we need to have one deal that pays out the entire fund. It's all yeah. about the, the power theory. That, that, you need that one thing. That doesn't happen an awful lot in med tech. When you think of PE, you often think of like, you know, leverage buyouts and like roll-ups, stuff like that. But they're also like, right. hey, look, th this is something we can take and we can grow it a lot. Well, and that's what I'm saying. So there's, there's basically, there's money to be spent in that middle where it's not just a, a roll-up or an LBO and it's not just a total card flip. One out of 10 is gonna be a winner and the other eight we write off. MedTech, actually, if you think about it, is more in that middle where it's likely to say, yeah, there probably is an opportunity for this. It, it may not get 10x payout, so you can't compete with, a, you know, with an, some genomic thing, nine, or ten, nine of which are going to fail. And it, you can actually operate it in a, in a much more um, effective way to make money on it than you can with LBOs anymore, because now LBOs, all the easy money was made back in the 90s and, and early 2000s. And so PE money's still flowing through all the pension funds. They want to get into like alternate, they want to do something other than just put it in the stock market. And so I, mean, I think the smart people will kind of come in and do some smart things. In that. Uh, and you go, go back to the, if you're, if you're around enough, long enough, it's, it's a little like what Tomasano do at EV3. So you took four or five aggregate company, four or five good companies, technology companies though, and you roll them all up. And you have a single point call point, and you're just printing cash. 
and then Covidian went in 2012, or Medtronic, Covidian, Medtronic bought them in yeah. 2000, right? That model there is, what if I had an ICU focus, mm -hmm. and I created an entity that, okay, Bob, Sally, Carl, and Fred all had a technology that was calling into the ICU, but they couldn't stand up maybe the clinical side, or they couldn't stand up the sales side. But what if I was a PE firm that created an incubator for the great thinkers and the executors, and I ran clinical trials on that specialty or that subspecialty, and I rolled them all up, and I had a cash flow coming out on there. And at the end, instead of me selling it off to another PE firm, I sold it off to a mid-cap or a strategic. And I de-risked everything already, and I retained my talent. That's all I think about is talent 24 hours a day, and it's probably last on the list when they go through the, the, the the thesis when they go through an acquisition. It's disrespected terribly, and I have these conversations with every person who has walked out the door during the acquisition. So that is what helps you retain the most important thing, the talent and the minds that create the new devices. Great. Well, Chris and I have to sweep the floors and uh, you know take out the trash, so. Take down the I'm banners, sure, you know. <laughs> I'm sure people have flights to, uh, to catch and whatnot, but uh, any last uh, takeaways? Peter, I'll let you, uh, I know you, saw, you sat in on the J&J &J presentation about their, their, uh, yeah. their surgical robot, if you want to hit upon that, we're, we're, or we've, whatever you want to do. So two things. It's a pickle. Three, three highlights for me. One was I did, I did get a chance to see Martin Bueller speak, which is interesting, and he is, he's like a, an OG in like real robots, right? So he like, you know, those, the yellow dogs, he did the big dog project. So he was at Boston Dynamics. When he was introduced, it was clear, everybody knew who he was and they were all robotic. They wasn't down here, it was all the robotics. Sorry, healthcare robotics right? engineering and, forum, yep. And he talked about his mentor who was, went just before him and it was like the OG of the OG. So like he's a real, you know, uh, I'm certainly, that, that my highlight for him was like, he, he, he really knows what he's doing relative to to, to robotics, he did you know some sort of Medtronic five seven years ago. Then he's done it in agriculture and other areas. So he's he's good. He didn't give us any any secrets about Otava today, but he did a good description of kind of analogizing you know what you do in other spaces to make a robotic for mowing and other things into that space. I thought that was kind of instructive. The second thing I really enjoyed the the thing about uh, developing a commercial strategy at launch. Mm -hmm. now, how do you make those payoffs? Because you're likely to not have a lot of money left because you're likely to raise after you get a little bit of revenue. So if you're very smart about you know, what agencies you use to do which thing, and do you go direct, do you hire a rep? I thought that was a good discussion. And the third kind of a surprise, is, it's kind of a niche thing, but there is now a standard uh, legal terms for taking products from uh, tech transfer offices. And basically about top 20 universities and, and law firms kind of put together kind of both sides to kind of agree that this is for life sciences, the, 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 the typical language, which if you're not into it, you realize you could imagine like every single university and every single company had their own way of doing it and you ended up arguing over the wrong things. And that, that was a highlight, so. Interesting, that's a great one. I hadn't heard about that one. Joe. <clears throat> uh, again, when I opened up, what I do is I love these venues because you have so many different service providers that the device startups as well as a lot of strategics realize they can help move your business forward. And the number of people that I had, you know, the opportunity and privilege to chat with over the last two days, you, you've really done a great job of attracting those people who are standing up the med tech medical device ecosystem. And I think organizations like Device Talks are so critical to our ecosystem because it forces everybody to come together and it forces you to listen in the audience, as an example, in heart failure yesterday, you know, the different aspects of whether it's pricing, the patient, uh, uh, site of care, all of these people that are here are really standing this entire industry up and it's not just the device manufacturer. And that becomes more and more obvious whether it's here or LSI or where you're forced to have a discussion of what's going on in the industry and how do other, like myself or Peter or yourself, see the industry. That, that non-homogenized view I think is critical and, and people need to support platforms like this more than just two or three times a year. Chris? Fantastic, I think you, you were kind of just referring a bit to the uh, Abbott LVAD panel, yeah. you know, which, yeah, uh, yeah I, I thought that was definitely a, a high point. Moderated that one, yeah. Yeah, for me, me here, because just the, you know, the, the fact that you have a device 
that can extend somebody's life until they get a heart transplant, and they're just you know thousands of people who just never have access to it. And you know they, you know the you know there was a you know you know top hospital president, you know people from Abbott, a patient who had, who had benefited, but you know and there were there were ideas thrown about how to do it, but you know it definitely looks like you know something we need to work at more. And I enjoyed uh, the keynotes I had with Tom Pullen and Mike Mahoney. I thought they both brought a lot of energy. Uh, they both. Uh, showed a little bit of themselves. I enjoyed Mike Mahoney's story about when he was interviewing for the job at Boston Scientific and everything, all evidence pointed to him not taking the job and then he just looked in the mirror and said, I'm doing it. And checked his gut. Checked his gut and said, yeah. I'm doing it. How are you going to feel on Monday morning if you don't take it? How are you going to feel on Monday morning if you don't take it? And uh, also, the, the, to, to your point, the energy of the folks in the, at the conference who just were generous with their, their, their love for the industry, and, and, and I think we all plug into that. And I just wrapped up a discussion on sustainability where there was some honest give and take and pushback, and it was just 40 people in a room who didn't agree on things, but we had a civil conversation. And when's the last time that happened? I mean, we just, yeah. it was just, it was a nice, it was a nice uh, exchange of ideas. I'm going to Israel next week, so that happens there all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And one of the nice things that came out, that there, there were some people here who had recently been laid off from other companies. Mm -hmm. It's nice, yeah. they have some amazing talent, and it kind of just get back, back into flow. So I think that yeah. was a, a really great uh, opportunity. Yeah, I hope that, I hope uh, it helped form some new connections, and I'm, I'm sure we'll have some additional conversations in future podcasts. So gentlemen, thank you for, uh, for joining us on the podcast and at Device Talks Boston. Thanks, Thanks so much. All right, thank you, everybody. That's a wrap. Uh, so, and uh, I don't know, have some fun. This could be a disaster or it could be brilliant. We'll find out what happens, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go.